0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. Today's episode is going to be with the CEO of Gab, Andrew Torba. Andrew is a really awesome guy, and I think you guys are really going to like this interview. I really, really enjoyed talking with Andrew. I actually discovered Andrew when he started tweeting from the official Gab account on Twitter about how Bitcoin was the only worthwhile cryptocurrency in the crypto space. And after that, I reached out to Gab, um, reached out to their press email, and I was able to get in touch with Andrew himself and line up an interview. This is actually the third and final remastered episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. I recorded this back in January for Decentralized TV so from here on out it's going to be all brand new exclusive content after this episode Uh, the next one after this is going to be an interview I did with Peter Saddington about Yen then after that I did an interview with Lightning Koala and I have another interview coming soon with a guy named Jeff Vandrew who I think you guys are going to really like to hear from he's a pretty interesting guy Anyways, I'll get straight to the interview with Andrew Torba. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you guys have been enjoying listening, and give us some reviews or thumbs up or likes or stars or whatever it is on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you want to find out more about Bitcoin Echo Chamber, just go check out our website, bitcoinechochamber.com. Anyways, guys, let's get on to the interview. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com, the economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Andrew, how are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm actually excited that I was able to get you
1: on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the time and uh, the platform to be able to tell our story. And you guys have quite
0: an interesting story, actually. I, I, I can't remember exactly when I first heard about Gab, but I I want to say it was on Reddit, like maybe two or three years ago. Does that sound about right? I remember a lot of people were talking about Gab on Reddit at one point in time, and I'm not really like a big Redditor anymore, but I remember it was right around the time that Reddit was going through a shift uh, in politics where it was starting to become a little bit more censorship-heavy than it had been in the past. Does that sound right, familiar? Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we launched in August of 2016, so about two and a half years ago. And um, you know, speaking of that shift that you personally witnessed on Reddit. I also witnessed that starting to happen on Reddit. I was a, a pretty big Redditor myself before I launched Gab. And once I launched Gab, I kind of dropped off from other social networks. But you know what I had noticed in um, you know 2015 and 2016 was this rise in censorship uh, from every big tech platform, whether it be Google censoring and manipulating search results, um, you know, YouTube. Uh, which is owned by Google, doing the same thing and altering different trends and rankings of different videos. Um, you know, Twitter uh, also messing with uh, trending hashtags and shadow banning and all sorts of nonsense that has since come out since that point in time. Um, but really, the big thing for me was when I saw that Facebook was um, manipulating. Um, you know, their trending topics or their you know, top news section that they used to have back then, which at the time was, you know, viewed by over a billion people every month. Um, And people basically got news from this thing, right? Like that's what they saw as the top news going on around Facebook and going on around the world. And, you know, a conservative whistleblower came forward, I believe in May of uh, 2016, and said yeah, we're actively suppressing conservative news conservative sources and conservative people and stories about conservative people and conservative topics from this trending topics product. I said this is this is absurd and you know with my prior experience in Silicon Valley with my last startup, uh, we were an ad tech startup and I was working directly with Facebook, Twitter and Google. Um, so I knew a lot of people that worked inside of each of those companies, became very close friends with a lot of them. Um, and many of them are patriots, you know, they're Bitcoin and crypto supporters. They're more libertarian minded, uh, you know, they believe in all the things that Gab and, and typically the Bitcoin and crypto community in general tend to believe in, which is individual liberty, you know, free expression, uh, fundamental human rights, um, all the things that we are fighting for here. So. You know, I, I spoke to these folks, and I, I, you know, told them about some of the trends that I was witnessing with the rise of censorship on these platforms that, for so long, uh, had championed free expression around the world. You know, we go back to the Arab Spring, where you know the mainstream media praised Twitter. Uh, you know, for their free expression stance and allowing these people to free themselves. And it was called the Twitter revolution and all this stuff. So it was totally fine. And the press was praising big tech, um, you know, when uh, different people from around the world were freeing themselves from tyranny. But when the United States, when the UK with Brexit, when... You know this populist movement that's happening across the globe started to happen and the people in Western countries started to do the same thing to fight for sovereignty and to fight for freedom um, you know the, the mainstream press couldn't have that and big tech couldn't have that so that's where we see this rise in censorship coming from so I saw all of this going on and I said um, you know someone has to do something someone has to build an alternative because up until that point there was no alternative. You either use Silicon Valley products uh, with this illusion of choice. You know, consumers don't realize that Facebook owns WhatsApp. You know, they own Instagram, they own Messenger, they own the Facebook app, they own Facebook Groups app. You know, all they dominate, uh, and, and there's not you know multiple apps consumers think that they have choice. Well, I don't use Facebook, I use Instagram. Well, guess what? Instagram is owned by Facebook. So, it was all just this big illusion, this big house of cards and I wanted to offer the market um a real alternative. So, that's that's what it started. That was the base idea and I said it's going to be grounded in free speech, it's going to be grounded in uh American law because we're a US corporation and um Everybody's welcome. It's not a political site. You know, it's not a Republican or right wing or a conservative only site. Everybody's welcome. And uh, as long as you follow the law and follow our, our common sense user guidelines, which really our guidelines, if you look at them, uh, are no different than Twitter's were, uh, you know, from their inception up until about 2015. Common sense stuff. Right. No spamming, no doxing, posting people's personal information, no death threats, uh, direct threats of violence, no child porn, nothing illegal, right? Common sense guidelines for a neutral platform that anybody's welcome to join uh, and speak freely because fundamentally, I think a lot of people feel like they can't speak their mind. They can't talk about politics. They can't talk about news uh, with their families, with their friends, with their coworkers, workers uh, and now on the internet uh, because you have these Silicon Valley companies that are treating them like children. Um, so that was the impetus for starting Gab. And uh, in essence, Gab is a social network where uh, anybody can speak freely. Um, it's kind of a hybrid of, I would say, Reddit and, and, uh, and Twitter. Although we allow 3,000 characters, you can edit your posts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that in a nutshell is Gab and, and the inception of, uh, of how Gab got started.
0: That's that's really awesome. Um I I commend you. I mean, for seeing a problem like that and for taking a step towards trying to protect, trying to stand up for, you know, for what you believe in. I think that that's something that we need more of in this world. But and and what's kind of surprising to me at least is that it seems like Gab in general is pretty it, it's heads on straight. You know, it's not like you guys are trying to elicit illegal activities or or, uh, promoting any type of particular uh, fringe groups or anything like that you're really just a platform for everybody why do you think that that's so threatening to people
1: well i think it's threatening to those in power because the only way that uh, an individual uh, which is you know we're trying to empower individuals versus um you know treating people as collected groups um, you know, the only way to in, in, speak truth to power, the only way an individual can speak truth to power and really make a difference, is if you have a, a free and open exchange and marketplace of ideas. And when your ideas are garbage, as many of the mainstream uh, ideas are that are being pushed on us by globalists and progressives and everybody else, um, you know, you have no choice but to censor the prevailing and dominant ideas that are winning in the free marketplace of ideas. So, you know, it's it's, it's a threat to the current people in power. It's a threat to the current power structure. Um, people don't realize how much power uh, these few corporations in Silicon Valley have with influencing how people think, um, you know, how they vote. Etc. Um, it's very, very powerful, and they do not want to lose that power over the masses. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at something like Facebook. There's two billion plus people, allegedly. You know, hundreds of millions are most likely bots and fake accounts, etc. But it's still a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of the uh, connected internet is, you know, has a Facebook account. Um, that's a really scary thing for one corporation to have that much centralized control on effectively our most private and intimate moments, photos, conversations, um, all in one place. First of all, it's a honeypot for state actors, for hackers, for any number of nefarious reasons. But secondly, I, I don't think that human beings are supposed to all be in one place uh, you know with one shared set of rules it just does not work because we're tribal we have different cultures we have different values we have different belief systems so you cannot put billions of people in one, one spot and expect you know with one set of rules um, you know that is that are enforced by one specific group that has one shared ideology uh, and expect everybody to get along it's just not going to happen so what i see happening is uh the fragmentation of uh, social and online communities. Um, You know, we're not going to be in these centralized uh, Silicon Valley websites anymore. We're going to start breaking off into our own niche communities of shared values. And I think Gab's, uh, you know, goal is to aim at being the free expression and individual liberty corner of this fragmented internet that is rapidly accelerating right now. Um, so that's that's kind of where I see things going right now is over the past couple of years social networking has has consolidated Facebook comes in and buys everybody or tries to take them out or clones their features in you know Snapchat is a prime example Them buying Instagram then buying WhatsApp so all this consolidation happened and now it's time for the market to fragment and I, I think we're leading that and uh, that is a threat to, you know, these companies and and to the media outlets that currently have control over narratives and over influencing how people think and how they vote more particularly. Hmm.
0: That's sort of a profound thing to think about. When you look at these corporations, well, I I think back to history and historically what we see is a lot of these types of things when they happen, they happen at the nation state level. Right. Why do you think... This this is going on. I mean, because to me, this seems like these these corporations are, colloquially speaking, shitting where they eat. Um, are, do you think that they, they think they're just too big to fail? Have they gotten too bureaucratic? Are they just the machine that can't be stopped? What's really going on here?
1: Right. So first of all, there's an oligarchy uh, in Silicon Valley of a handful of companies that essentially control... You know the majority, uh, a super monopoly on every different vertical, uh, whether it's cloud hosting, whether it's um, domain registrars, whether it's payment processing, whether it's uh, the ability to distribute a mobile app. Um, you know, you look at Google and Apple, and that is a clear duopoly, right? That is a clear duopoly on mobile app distribution. Um, when those two collude together to decide that hey, Gab is not allowed on these app stores because we say so uh, you know that's that's a problem they're abusing their market forces uh, and their duopoly status uh, to basically kick us out of the the market and that's not a free market when you have two corporations that own and control the distribution of mobile applications on mobile devices that is that is not a free market it's a duopoly and people say well go build your own app store like that's <laughs> that's that's not a realistic solution. Right. When, when uh, Google and Apple have 98 percent market penetration it's just uh, and control. Right. Um, so the second thing is I would argue that Facebook is more powerful than most nation states. Hmm. Right. Just in terms of how much data they have, how much influence they have, how much control they have mm-hmm. over the flow of information, over what we're allowed to talk about, over what is news and what isn't. Um, so, you know, we've gotten to the point in capitalism where we have a corporation that is. In many ways, more powerful, more influential, and has more control than a lot of nation states around the world, mm. right? And I think that's 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 a scary point to, to be in in history uh, when you're looking at companies like Apple, like Google, and like Facebook. Um, you know, I think people really need to start questioning why they're willingly giving you know these handful of corporations all of their personal data, all of their most intimate you know, private moments and conversations um, and everything about them. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really scary thing and people really need to start thinking about this and that's, you know, partly why I wanted to build an alternative that, you know, doesn't mass collect data, um, doesn't have massive amount of tracking uh, because we don't do advertising, right? Uh, our business model is predicated and um, driven completely by our user base our shareholders, the same reason that we didn't go the traditional fundraising path, right? You know, first of all, we weren't going to do a scam ICO because we weren't going to have a useless utility token. We weren't going to have uh, an illegal unregistered security that we were pretending was something else, even though it clearly wasn't. Uh, And then secondly, we weren't going to go the other traditional route, which is, you know, raising money from uh, venture capitalists or a bank or you know other institutions and then those guys you know own and control you and, and and puppeteer you and I've played that game I've seen that game be played many a times so I said no we're going to open up our funding to our users so our users are our shareholders hmm. right our users are our customers our users are our our, our check and balance right So we're not mass collecting them, they're not the product, they're paying for a service or they're paying to be a shareholder, to be a part of the company, to be a a part of the company's success. And um, when you have incentives aligned like that between your community and between the the corporation and between myself answering directly to the community, um, it's a very powerful thing. Uh, and, And it creates transparency, it creates accountability, And it holds us, again, the accountability is the big thing. It holds us accountable to our mission of defending, you know, free speech and free expression uh, for all people.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm glad you touched on the the gab token because I was going to hit you with that in a little bit. So now I can just cross that off my list. We don't even have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, But... Now, you, you talked about the duopoly in Silicon Valley, and you talked about just the amount of control that these corporations have over what we're allowed to express online, and um, we here at Decentralized TV know that all too well. We, we've been pretty much completely demonetized since day one, and this is the second channel um, that our creator has kind of had to bootstrap because of censorship. So I know, uh, Andrew, you guys at Gab, you have had a lot of experience with this type of censorship can you give us some examples like specifically what you guys have have been through
1: sure yeah we've we are probably the most censored and no platformed uh, tech startup and certainly social network and potentially website in the history of the internet Uh, we have been banned from both app stores for quote hate speech Although anybody who is on the internet on any major social platform can find plenty of hate speech in much higher volumes uh, on Reddit, on Facebook, on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, So that was the first level of censorship and and no platforming that we experienced is, you know, you're not allowed to participate in our duopoly of mobile app distribution on both app stores. Uh, Then we had our DNS, uh, you know, threatened to seize our domain if we did not, uh, you know, censor certain political posts that were pretty edgy, but they weren't, um, and probably pretty offensive, but they weren't illegal, right? They were certainly protected by the First Amendment. They were certainly protected by uh, our guidelines, um, and we refused to do so, so we had to find a new domain registrar within 48 hours. Wow. So we were censored at of the Appster level, the uh, DNS level. Um, then we move on to hosting, where we had our cloud hosting provider, Microsoft Azure, uh, essentially do the same thing. Say you need to remove these posts, or from this individual user, or <laughs> uh, we're going to cancel your multi-year contract that we have with you. So uh, we just, you know, started negotiating with them and, and came to an agreement where we would end our contract and just move providers because we weren't going to have uh, our hosting provider, uh, you know, tell us what content that is that is legal. Uh, is allowed and not allowed on our website. Um, we moved to new hosting providers who uh, then also uh, proceeded to kick us off within, I think, six to eight weeks. Um, we lost uh, PayPal. We lost Stripe. So then we moved into uh, you know crypto payment processing. And then we got banned from Coinbase. We got banned from BitPay. I personally, not only the company account, my personal Accounts uh, at Coinbase, my personal accounts at Squares Cash App were also banned. Um, So, you know, they're not only going after the the company, but they're also going after me personally, uh, simply for creating an alternative platform that allows anybody to join uh, and, and speak freely within their fundamental human rights and First Amendment rights uh, and privacy rights uh, as protected by the United States of America's laws. So, you know, it's, it's a really, we are a part of the, the canary in the coal mine for censorship on the Internet and for unpersoning on the Internet. I mean, you look at, you don't have to agree with Alex Jones, you don't have to like Alex Jones, but when you look at what they did to him and how fast they did it, Mm-hmm. Where they removed every video, I think 30,000 plus videos from YouTube, mm-hmm. every video he's ever done, every post he's ever made across any platform was instantly scrubbed. And if they can do that to uh, you know someone with a platform as big as his, uh, they certainly can do it to any individual or any other corporation. Um, and in a blank, you're scrubbed from the internet and that's not a world that I want to live in and I don't think it's a world that most people want to live in so um, you know outside of that we've been banned from you know things like medium (laughs) which we were using from our blog Um, a lot of third-party services that we were using for like push notifications and you know other um, you know back-end stuff that is required to make the site run Um, you name it and and we've been you know no-platformed or censored or banned uh, from it at every single level of the internet infrastructure stack. Wow.
0: That's that's incredible. So, you know, you mentioned Alex Jones. And, you know, I, I think everyone's got mixed feelings about Alex Jones. Uh, I don't want to get into him specifically. But I, I think that the media or this corporate conglomerate, whatever you want to call it, has done a really go- good job at keeping people like Alex Jones on the fringe. So much so that when something like this happens where he does get uh, – because I remember when that happened. I rem- it was like turning on a light, and every suddenly Alex Jones was gone. It was like he never even existed. I mean, it, it's, yep, it's crazy. Exactly. I think a lot of people yeah, don't realize – how powerful that is or that, that level of censorship because they had a guy like him just so far on the fringe. The only people who really I think even realized that it happened were people that were already paying attention to him.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that you know, that's the scary thing is, is the power of the media and the power of these activist mobs uh, that in a lot of cases are actually fabricated. They're not even real people. You know, a lot of them use botnets and stuff to target corporations and just spam them all day long on Twitter, on Facebook, via email, etc. cetera, um, with this social pressure to ban or or, or shut up or, or no platform certain individuals or certain corporations um, or certain organizations. And that is uh, really, really, really scary stuff, and I just don't know how more people aren't standing up and fighting back against this. You know, that's the other thing that really inspired me uh, and inspires me every day to keep building Gab. Is you know, a lot of people like to talk about it and whine about it and say, "Oh, big tech is censoring us again," but nobody, nobody is building, building a solution. Right. And that is what we need to be doing right now is building alternative solutions to everything mm-hmm. to search, which is something that DuckDuckGo is going mm-hmm. to uh, domain registrars, which is something that Epic.com, our domain registrar is doing, you know, to alternative ways to distribute mobile apps or, um, you know, educate people on how they can um natively install apps without having to be on the app stores, for example. You know, there's a lot of hurdles, but um, I think that there's hope, right? There's hope because there are people building. Um, Gab is one of them, but there are others who are now starting to get inspired and starting to rise up. But that's my big thing is like, stop whining, start building, right? You, you can whine all day. It's not going to change anything. You're whining in, in, their, uh, in their living room. Right. You're in the home turf of Silicon Valley, you know, complaining about Silicon Valley. Like, what do you think that's going to accomplish? So that's that's my big thing is just we have to start building. And I think the, the crypto community, the Bitcoin community has been really good at that over the last decade. And I think that's only going to improve in the next decade. Um, and that's something that we're really excited about, specifically on the payment processing side. And that's really how we um, start to get into uh, Bitcoin. Um, you know, we've been accepting Bitcoin, and I've been personally uh, into Bitcoin and talking about Bitcoin since around 2012, 2013. So you can actually go back and find Coinbase articles that I wrote in like 2013 about how I went to Subway and uh, I bought a, a sub with Bitcoin in one of the, uh, the first, it was the first for me, but as far as I know, it was like one of the first real world transactions outside of that infamous you know, Bitcoin pizza. Hmm. Um, and I wrote about it. And uh, you know, that was a fundamental moment for me. And, and, you know, I didn't need permission from any bank or any corporation or any government to make that transaction happen. And that's what's so attractive uh, to, to me and to, to people who care about liberty and, and freedom and especially free expression is this concept of free speech money. And I think that's the, the big rebrand that Bitcoin needs right now is, you know, when you're pitching Bitcoin to your grandmother, you know, you can't say, oh, it's a, a you know, peer-to-peer, da, 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 distributed, decentralized, sound money. You know, you can't use any of the, the typical lingo or, or talking points that we would have in, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter, crypto, Twitter, you know, Reddit, subreddits, etc. The, the, the online community, the crypto community online, you know, when you're talking to normal people, uh, I think the pitch, free speech, money… Where you don't need permission from your bank, any corporation, any government to make monetary transactions uh, anywhere in the world instantly. You know what I mean? Like that is the biggest draw uh, and that is the biggest marketing point um, that I think that the Bitcoin community needs to focus on is Bitcoin is free speech money. Hmm. Uh, If you want to support, uh, you know, potentially even candidates in the future um, for political office, you want to support – businesses like Gab that have been, you know, banned off of every payment processor, including crypto payment processors, uh, you're going to need to learn about free speech money. Um, So that's, that's what we've been doing is educating, you know, our 860 plus thousand users on free speech money. And, um, you know, it's been very successful so far. We've integrated BTC pay server. So we have self host our own crypto payment processor in order to uh process payments uh vis-a-vis crypto vis-a-vis bitcoin and um it's been working out really well and and we're actually introducing a lot of people to bitcoin who have never heard of it or never would have um purchased it in the past and that's that's really exciting
0: yeah i i think that that's a really good point I, you know I kind of caught wind of you. I kind of ha- always really known about Gab, but I wasn't paying much attention to you guys until I saw just the constant tweet storming about Bitcoin. Um, a, because you were constantly ragging on all the shitcoiners, coiners, but B, because you were coining this whole free speech money phrase. And that really caught a lot of traction in the cryptocurrency community because right now things are just kind of, I don't want to say boring if you're if you're paying attention to the right metrics, but a lot of people are sort of just, down in this market, um, particularly like this this bear market of cryptocurrency, and they needed something new to kind of rally around, something to like give them a little bit of energy to light a little fire under their butts, and I think that the free speech money thing is is really really good for that. I think that it's it's a much more, it's like it's a much more catchy marketing phrase than, than the whole sound money thing, as much as I love sound money, uh, and I, I think you bring up a good point too, because I I don't you know growing up I certainly wasn't ever taught that money is a form of speech or that um my ability to use money freely represents free speech and I think that that might partially actually stem from our fiat system because our money isn't I mean the US dollar in and of itself is sort of a repression of free speech because it's not valuable in
1: and of itself it's
0: it's sort of like a like a shadow of value,
1: right? And, and the purchasing power, uh, your your your, uh, which represents you know the power and the reach of your speech, you know, has been decreasing for decades, right? Mm. <laughs> so, I, I think um, you know, sound money, it, it, it's obviously a very powerful thing. Uh, when you're talking to economists, when you're talking to you know computer scientists, it, it makes sense to say programmable money. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking yeah. to grandma or, or when you're talking to your mom you know, saying free speech money, um, you know, will A, capture their attention and, and uh, you know, won't be a boring thing to talk about. They'll, they'll be interested right away. The second you say that, they're going to be, you know, you say sound money and they're going to be like, what, like money with music on it or what, you know what I mean? Like that's what most normal people, when they hear sound, uh, you know, they're thinking of actual sounds. They're not thinking of, you know, I guess good money is, is maybe a better way to say that. But um, you know, free speech money is like, oh, wait, what do you mean by that? Like, what, what does that even mean? Well, well, guess what, you know, if I want to send money, uh, you know, to anyone in the world uh, without going through a bank uh, or a government or any corporation to do so, uh, I have the, the freedom to do that through Bitcoin. And just like when you're going to uh, Europe and, and you need to go to an exchange uh, to exchange dollars for euros in order to, you know, make transactions, Well, Bitcoin is the same thing. If you want to have the ability to have uh, complete and total autonomy uh, over uh, your wealth and over your purchases, well, then you're gonna go to an exchange and you're gonna exchange your cash for Bitcoin, right? Um, And I think too many people, the the, the biggest thing for most normal people is they look and they say, oh, Bitcoin is $4,000. I can't afford that. And most people don't know well you can buy a fraction of a bitcoin you could buy five dollars worth of bitcoin right so that's most normal people and that's what we're trying to educate is like you don't have to buy a full bitcoin it doesn't matter you you have some loose change in your pocket you don't have a full dollar you don't have a hundred dollar bill but you know it works the same way you can buy some satoshis Hmm. Uh, just educating people on those little things and and finding out what those roadblocks are on the path to getting people set up on a wallet um you know getting people purchasing uh, their first Bitcoin um, and, and then teaching them how to spend it. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of red tape involved there. So I think the biggest thing right now that the Bitcoin and crypto community in general can do is really focus on user experience, hmm. really focus on educating, really focus on onboarding. Um, because once people get over that that hump, once you do it the first time, well, now you know what you're doing. And, and you make your first purchase. It's it's magical thing, right? It's like this you know, Eureka moment for most people. And, you know, you never have to really teach them again. Once they do it one time, set up your wallet, make a purchase, you know, go to an exchange, etc. Uh, they're good to go. So just getting people to that point at mass scale um, is really the biggest challenge that that crypto and Bitcoin has right now. But I think over time, we'll start to see those problems go away. Um, when, when people see concrete examples of um, real world use uh, like in the case of Gab. Well, okay, Gab is banned from PayPal, from Stripe, from Coinbase, from BitPay. So what does Gab do? Well, Gab needs to use Bitcoin, right? It's free speech money, right? Mm-hmm. So most normal people see that and they get it, right? Like they get it instantly. Like this is this is common sense stuff. Um, and, and, you know, figuring out how to convey that and how to market that has been really fun for me um, to be able to learn how to communicate that. And I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to take the credit for, I guess, branding Bitcoin as free speech money because plenty of people mm-hmm. have said this over years. Right. But I think I, what I want to do is mainstream that. Right. And really, you know, wake a lot of the crypto and the Bitcoin community up and say like, this is the winning message. Right. Like, so push it. <laughs> yep. Um, and it's, it's so far it's working. So. Absolutely.
0: So y- You guys have had a lot of this legacy financial system censorship. What problems has that presented for you in terms of trying to use Bitcoin? Because I would imagine that now you're trying to use Bitcoin mostly within its own internal ecosystem because you probably don't have a lot of on and off ramps in and out of Bitcoin. What problems has that created for you and has, if any ways,
1: has that helped at all? Uh, Actually, it has because (laughs) our hosting provider, our uh, registrar, Um, And a few of our employees all accept Bitcoin for for payments, right? So (laughs) it's actually made things a lot easier um, because if we can cover, you know, our hosting costs, some of our payroll costs, um, you know, other smaller things like our our domain registrar costs, et cetera, uh, why do we need an exchange, right? And I think this is something, um, I forget who said it. Uh, But basically, you know, someone else predicted this. I forget who it was in the crypto community. Um, I don't know if it was Sabo or someone else. But basically, they said, you know, the next step is they're going to start censoring the on ramps and the off ramps. And what are the millennials going to do? They're going to say, I I don't care. I'm just going to find out um, different businesses, different providers, different services, different people that accept Bitcoin. So I don't even have to cash out into fiat there, you know, that is the, that should be the ultimate goal is you, you don't, you don't have to cash out ever uh, because you can pay for everything and anything in Bitcoin. Um, and, and that is a future that we're probably a few decades away from, but I think it's not something that is out of reach. Um, and, and, you know, so far for us, it really hasn't presented much of a challenge. Uh, You know, because a lot of our employees, our contractors, our hosting providers all accept crypto, all accept Bitcoin. Um, So it's actually been a a, a net positive for us, I would say. The net negative is that most of our users don't know about Bitcoin yet. So we have this education hurdle Hmm. to get people, you know, uh, purchasing Bitcoin or acquiring Bitcoin or whatever, learning about it, opening up a wallet, et cetera, um, so that they can. Um, you know, purchase Gab Pro or or go to our shop and and use Bitcoin there. Um, That has been the biggest hurdle. But in terms of like once we have that uh, as operating revenue, um, using that to to pay service providers and stuff has has actually not been an issue for us, which is incredible when you think about it. That is that is really cool.
0: I, I could see. In the being in the situation that you guys are in, where you have all these users, um, and you, you're just trying to capture some of their some of their value, and obviously so you can keep yourself alive, the that's a lot of commitment to ask from a user, not just to to pay for your service to like help you keep the lights on but now you have to go and you have to take a picture of your driver's license and you have to send it to this uh cryptocurrency exchange and then you have to wait like a week and then you have to get the email back from them and then you have to log on like that's a lot to ask of your users um whereas normally you just ask them to put their credit
1: card in and bang they're done right do you think that here's the thing i think go ahead well, we, we've actually successfully proven that we can get them to do even more than that. Um, because before we started processing in Bitcoin, uh, we were reliant on people sending us checks to a PO box. I mean, you think about the work that that takes to like get out your checkbook. Like, when's the last time you wrote a check, right? Get out your checkbook, write it out, sign it, put it in an envelope, write out an address, put a stamp on it, put it in the mailbox. Like, that's a lot of time commitment. That's a lot of work, uh, you know, to be able to support uh, a company or a mission that you believe in. But guess what? I go to the P.O. box every day and we're flooded with checks, right? Um, you know, so it, we have it's a hurdle. And the other thing that I look at is, you know, when PayPal first got started, you know, that was a, a point in time in the Internet where nobody would be caught dead, you know, putting their bank information or putting oh, yeah. their credit card on the Internet um, but guess what? You know, PayPal made it super easy to um, transact and buy things on eBay and, and send money to friends and things of that nature. And um, their UX and their onboarding experience um, and their incentive model for getting people signed up. I think at one point, you know, Peter Thiel talks about this. I think they were paying people, you know, ten bucks to sign up, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people will do it, right? And they got they broke through that seemingly impossible wall of getting people to put their banking information, getting people to put their credit cards, their debit cards on the internet, and they did it. And I think that if PayPal can do it, then there's no reason that the Bitcoin community can't come together to really nail onboarding, nail education, nail marketing, and nail that first-time experience and simplify all of that. Um, that that should be the core agenda right now. Like everybody needs to stop like focusing on shit coins and on price and all this nonsense. Like focus on onboarding, focus on experience, focus on education, focus on marketing, focusing on message. Um, those are the things that the community should be focusing on. Uh, you know, if you want my two cents from uh, an outsider who's now integrating Bitcoin into his business.
0: That's a really good point about PayPal, you know, because PayPal taught an entire generation of people who didn't grow up with the Internet how to be comfortable using money on the Internet. I mean, I remember my mom saying when I was little, uh, we were looking at a website and she said something along the lines of who would ever use their credit card on the Internet. That's crazy and look at where we're at today Um, but tell us more you you said we should focus more on bitcoin and not the shit coins why why bitcoin
1: well i think bitcoin has been the undisputed champ for over a decade i don't think that that is changing anytime soon i think You look at a lot of these um, these shit coins or these scam coins, as I like to call them, uh, a little more family-friendly branding term there. Uh, They're all centralized in in one way or another. They all have um, cult of personalities, um, quote-unquote, leading them. I think Satoshi's most brilliant uh, contribution to Bitcoin and to society uh, in general was being anonymous uh, and disappearing. Um, the you know that that is such a, a powerful thing, and I think that um, Bitcoin is, has such a, a large global community of people that have shared values and, and share in the values of what uh, Bitcoin really is. Which again is, is free speech, money is 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 empowering the individual over the corporation or over the state. Um, there are far too many people uh, that share those values and that will commit to making uh, Bitcoin a long-term success. I think the flipping is a meme that it's just, it's never going to happen, right? You know, I, I'm not saying that there are not other interesting crypto and, and blockchain uh, uses in the world, because I think there certainly are. You know, smart contracts are obviously one. I think they're going to really revolutionize uh, digital securities. And, and, you know, we're kind of taking a part in that on our end by tokenizing our uh, our equity and our stock and our company. Um, you know, there are other interesting plays, but I think it's it's still far too early. Like you look at a lot of these protocols and a lot of the promises that a lot of these projects and, and different quote unquote utility tokens are making and really it's all vaporware. Yeah. And like most normal people don't care. Like, they do not care about uh, a decentralized utility token. Like, no. Like, tell your mom that and, and see what she's going to be like, what? Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, they, they you know, I think the crypto community at large gets stuck in this um, ideological echo chamber and this filter bubble of the community at large and they forget about the outside world and they get so excited about these projects that, you know, you look at Ethereum, for example, Crypto kitties, I think, had like twenty five thousand users or something at the peak in December, and it just crippled, you know, the quote unquote supercomputer. Right? Like, it's it's absurd. You know, if Gab w- was built on Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain, uh, we would cripple the network instantly, instantly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, the, you can't make these grandiose promises and uh, all this nonsense when um, it's not grounded in reality. It's 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 vaporware um and and i think that focusing on you know what is what has worked what what is tried and true um and that is bitcoin it, it is the the right path forward i can but that's agree. an opinion that's a take and many people would disagree with that yeah well
0: we'll see who's right <laughs> like for that, me
1: right. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah well for me i think everybody brings up all these issues right like Uh, block size and scaling and uh, derp 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 transaction fees and derp 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 I was like I don't care right like the crypto community will solve all these problems inevitably right like when the internet was first getting started there were a ton of problems with scale and with speed and with infrastructure and wow uh, turns out uh, people solve them right so uh, that's how we are where we are today and I think the crypto community the bitcoin community in general will come together to solve those problems won't fall for You know these uh these cult of personalities who are trying to take control um you know in their own forks and and the drama and the nonsense like that that's not that's not the future um the future is coming together and and staying focused on the most important aspect of bitcoin which is the censorship resistant uh free speech money um you know that so far uh, you know i've never seen another you know scam coin uh that can promise that and execute on that um, at scale, um, you know, you look at the fifty-one percent of tax now, et cetera. Like it's a joke, right? Like so. That that's just that's my take on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. I, I think that
0: the vast majority of cryptocurrency right now is a house of cards that's been marketed as yep. a as an industrial strength bridge, uh, and it's it's not. So, what do you think Bitcoin's biggest hurdle is going to be moving forward?
1: Well, obviously, I think the biggest hurdle is adoption, right? You know, one thing that's that's concerning to me is um, I look at, uh, you know, how many total Bitcoin wallets there are in existence, you know, a decade in here. And I believe it's, you know, 28 million, something like this. Don't quote me. But, you know, when I saw the number, basically, I, I was like, wow, like, that's actually not a lot considering Bitcoin has been around for over a decade, considering you have, you know, billions of dollars in VC money pumped into a lot of uh, Bitcoin companies, you know, like Coinbase and Gemini and all these other guys. Um, when you really think about it and plus all the press, you know, good or bad that Bitcoin has had over the last decade. And there's only 20 some million total wallets in existence. I think you know, that really shocked me. So I think we've got a lot of work to do um, on the marketing, on the messaging on the onboarding, on the user experience. Um, And that's something that I believe that I can help with and that our community can help with. And our community can be almost a testing ground for the Bitcoin community. Like we're talking with a lot of lightning devs right now um, who are working on top of our API to build different lightning integrated apps, et cetera. And lightning is super early right now, but there's a lot of promise there. Um, there's a lot of really smart people, um, who I respect uh, a lot that are, that are working on that project. And I think that, again, the, the biggest thing is the marketing, the messaging, the onboarding, um, the experience, those are the biggest hurdles right now for Bitcoin. And if the community comes together and stops, you know, arguing about shit coins and, uh, you know, day trading and worrying about price and uh, all this other distraction—like it's all just a big distraction. It's all just drama. It's all just a waste of time. Center your focus on marketing, messaging, uh, onboarding, and experience. And I think that um, uh, the whole community will will uh, thrive uh, if, if the community can focus on those things. Hmm. Those are great points.
0: So, Andrew, you got any anything else that you want to talk about today? Anything else you want to let the viewers know?
1: Uh, get on Gab, folks, it's uh, Gab.com, uh, you can go and create your free account and um, if you're interested, uh, you can upgrade to a Gab Pro account, which is optional, uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, so even if you want to just, um, if you're in crypto, if, if you're, you're a fan of Bitcoin, you want to see you know, how we're doing it uh, as a business, um, go check it out, um, we're using BTC Pay Server, it works really well for us, um, I highly recommend them, that's another thing that I would highly recommend. And, um, you know, remember to speak freely and and speak truth to power. I guess that's what I'll leave everybody with.
0: And is Gab the best place for viewers who want to keep up with you and what you're doing? Uh, Is that the best place for them to find you?
1: Yes, uh, I'm at A, the letter A. I guess that's one of the benefits of starting the site. I get a a single letter username. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for the time,
0: man. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, and we will hopefully one day do this again. Sounds good. Have a good one. Well, what'd you guys think about that? I told you, Andrew's a pretty interesting guy. He's got a lot of really interesting views on free speech and on internet and on Bitcoin as money and the money of the internet and how Bitcoin is free speech money. I think that these are all really compelling concepts. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed this episode and make sure and stay tuned because we have bigger and better things coming and I promise you are not going to want to miss it. That's all for this one, guys, and I will see you in the next
1: one.